My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to go through uh, one whole psalm. So we're going to be in Psalm 73 in just a few minutes. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can get there. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. If not, it will be on the screen behind me. Okay, I'm going to use a word that's thrown around a lot today. And as soon as I use it, you're going to have a picture in your head of what that looks like. Entitlement. If you're over 40, you're thinking about millennials. You're thinking about that generation. They think everything should just be given to them. They don't know how to work. They don't do anything productive. I'm not saying this is what they're actually doing. I'm just saying this is what's going through the thoughts and minds of people in this room. If you're over 40, if you're under 30, you're thinking about all those old people that, you know, they have everything. They've got it all. They don't share it. You know, why do they do that? They're so entitled. They get all the best parking places. I don't know what that symbol is with the blue on it, but they get to park right up front. That was a joke. A handicap spot. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But entitlement is something that we deal with every day. I mean, we, we feel like on the road, there's some people that just feel entitled to be in whatever lane they want to, regardless of you're there, regardless of how fast you want to go or not want to go, merging on the lane. I mean, it's even in line. Have you ever seen, I was in uh, Walmart the other day, and I, you know, I don't stress a lot. I mean, sometimes I'm in a hurry and it like bothers me, but like there was a guy that was in line and somebody kind of cut in front of him and he was like, I doing. I don't think the lady realized that she cut in front of him, and she was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." He was like, "No, nah, no, nah, just go ahead, just go ahead." And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm kind of a mall watcher. Like, I like to go places and see those awkward moments." But there's lots of those things that we deal with every day, and how we feel about that changes the way we look at people. Could be a homeless person on the side of the road. That's asking for money. It could be there's just so many things that comes into our minds when we think about this. And so this morning, I want to take that out and I want to ask you a question. What if I said entitlement and we put that with Christians? Look closer at home. A little bit potentially more painful. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that Christians are entitled? You think that that we live in this place that we kind of feel like things should go our way because fill in the blank. And so this morning, I want to spend a fair amount of time literally going. There's 28 verses in Psalms 73. And I want to run through two ideas or, or really try to get rid of two ideas that run through Christianity um, that are wrong today. One says that. It's faith only. Faith is only for people that have their life put together. And they kind of, you know, entitled Christians could look at other Christians that are struggling with their faith and not doing all the right things that they think they should be doing. And they uh, have this, uh, that, this also this mindset that if you're a Christian, your life will be good, comfortable, easy, prosperous, and nothing bad will happen to you. See, the truth behind that is that if you follow Jesus, 
and are Christian, you are not promised a good life. You are promised God. The presence, and we, we talked about last week what the cross meant for us, that it, it rend the, the temple curtains apart. What separated the common people from the holiness of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it opened this up and allowed us to enter into the presence. Another kind of wrong mentality is that um, Christians live a good life, do good things, volunteer at church, go to church, tithe, then you will get all that you want. I talk about it a lot, you know, this kind of mentality that, you know, the prosperity gospel that, you know, if you if you check all the boxes, then God is just a genie that you get to rub um, his lamp and he comes out and said, oh, what can I do for you? You know, the servant and bows down and, 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 and grants all of your wishes. See, the truth Against that is that when you live out God's word and are obedient to do them, you are not promised gifts of wealth, health or prosperity, but a gift of God himself. You see that theme there? The danger of us missing out on what God's trying to do around us is that we can live, and I'm not saying this is you in this room, but you can live in this entitled state. That because of fill in your blank, God should. There's a guy in uh, the Psalms who wrote several Psalms. He's um, basically one of David's worship leaders, Asaph. It's at the top of the Psalm that he wrote this. And his connection to David made him pretty important in the area. But outside of that, he was just, a con- he wasn't the king. He wasn't anything special. He was an ordinary man. And he wrote this psalm that has really, for years, just comforted me when I feel overwhelmed by looking at others and feeling like, what's, go- what's wrong with me? And I love the honesty of this psalm. Before we get into the psalm, let's pray. Yep, I'm going to move that. Dearly Father, it is your word and your word alone that gives us truth. And so, Lord, as we read through Psalm 73, Lord, I pray that truth would resonate in us. And when we live in a place of entitlement, thinking that you owe us gifts, treasures, health, prosperity. And Lord, when our eyes look out and see the wicked prosper. I pray that you would refocus our attention to the gift that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that this morning and these days ahead that we have to live, that our life wouldn't be marked by what you give us tangibly. But it would be marked by what you've already gave us in your son, in the life that he promises us to enter into the presence. And so, Lord, let this morning... (laughs) Let this morning, this room be the temple of the Lord. Let us, let us learn what 
Asaph learned as he entered into your presence. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning that the word teaches. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Psalm 73. And I I love his honesty. In in verse 1 it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Truth. I I, I love how we will sometimes, um, before we're about to lay some doubt down, we'll put a truth there. Like, oh yeah, God is good. And then in verse 2, there's this, this word that starts with, but. So he's like, oh, God is good. You know, oh, he, you know, he, he's so wonderful. And then he goes into verse 2 and it says, 2, and it goes back. He, he, he's not necessarily doubting the goodness of God, but he's, he's struggling himself. He says, but as to me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious. Of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here's a man trying to do the best he can. Trying to be obedient to the God that he serves and loves. Doing a job for him. Leading worship for King David. But he's struggling with understanding the knowledge that God is good. And living in the reality that he's seeing other things happen. And it's going to go through this list of what he's seeing. In verse 4 it says, "For," And he's talking about the wicked. It says, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And in, in this, when it says this, and a little bit later it's going to talk about how swole their eyes are. Um, it was a benefit to be plump in this day because it meant you had plenty to eat. Like in our kind of our day, this would be like, oh, that's not that's not a positive. It was a positive then because that means their bellies were full. Says so their bodies were fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out of fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And then they say, the wicked, how can God know? If there is not, if there is even, it doesn't say that word, but if there's knowledge in the Most High, verse 12, says, behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So he's looking out and he's seeing the wicked prosper. He's seeing people that that mock God. He sees their bank accounts growing and their 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 you know garage getting bigger. Of course, they didn't have cars. I know. He sees them getting fat with the the choice foods. He he doesn't see any pains. There, there's no there's no illness. There's no sickness because he's focusing on what he sees in the moment and he's struggling with that. And he's he's saying all in vain, meaning I'm doing this for nothing. 
All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of our children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And here, here's the thing. Here, here's the whole push of what's going to happen in verse 17 and what's going to happen from then on out. The danger with this mentality is that if you rely on your wisdom and your understanding, it will be a wearisome task. Because if you're sitting here right now and there are things that are out of your control that are happening with you or your family or with your job, it is... I mean, I mean, we've all done it. We've all had those moments where we did everything in our power. We twiddled our thumbs. We have sat there and sweated in tears and, and cried about what's going on. And, and we have, within our soul, tried to remedy the situation. And it is a wearisome task when you cannot control it. And here he's saying, look, I've done everything I can on my own. To remedy what I'm feeling. And I, I know we've all been there. We've all been to this place where we, it, what does it matter? Like, why, why not just this one more thing? Like, no one's going to know. And here's this man that's in this moment is going, in vain, I have done all of the correct things. And then verse 17 is the whole reason why I love this song. And it, it continues, it it changes his perspective because up until this point, he trusted in himself to understand why the world was the way it was. Why the wicked prosper. Why these things happen. Why he's struggling this way. It was all on him. And in verse 17, he finally went to the source. In verse 17, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Here's a question that I'll pose again at the end. When is God enough? When is God enough? Because I know we've talked about, you know, Jesus and the cross plus our actions get us saved, which that's the lie. Christ alone, like we looked at last week in Ephesians 2. But the danger is, is when we go, we want the treasure that is Christ plus health, money in the bank, a good job. And as long as these other things added to Christ, then we're satisfied. Instead of the beauty of this scenario, nothing changed in his life. When he walked into the temple of God, God did not go, well, here's some money. And he says, let me, let, me, let me fill your bank accounts. Let me, let me fatten you with choice foods. Let me give you all these things. None of this happened other than he entered into the presence of the Lord and understood that his treasure is not now. His treasure is not this moment, but his treasure is what God has promised him, which is him. He tells us 
or opens to us the secret of life. That God's presence before he saw God, he was confused, frustrated and living through living as though God owed him. After he saw God, he lived as a servant, humble and living for God, owing God everything. And nothing other than his perspective changed. That's the key. Paul says this in the epistles. He says, I've learned to be content in all things. This is a man who spent the majority of his time in prisons. Getting beaten and shipwrecked and abused. And he's saying, I've learned to be content in all things because he had pinpointed his treasure on a fixed purpose or fixed thing. Which was God alone, not God plus not being in prison, not God plus not being shipwrecked in every single one of those, even in one point. The point he was shipwrecked, I mean, you want to have a bad day? Be unjustly accused. They were going to kill him. They, they made this kind of thing. We want to have another conversation with him just to lure him out so that the, the, the Jews could get rid of him. And he appealed to Caesar and they put him on a boat to take him to Caesar. And on the way there, his boat wrecks. He tells them, hey guys. If you'll do what I say, every single one of you will live. We're going to lose everything, but every one of your lives will be saved if you listen to me. And they listen to him and they all make it to land. They start a fire and you're chilling by the fire. And a deadly snake comes out of nowhere and bites you. Like, that's a bad day. And this is Paul who's saying, uh, not Asaph we're talking about, but Paul in the New Testament talking about, I've learned to be content in all things. And what did he do? He just shook that off and the villagers were like, God hates this man. And a little bit later when he's still alive, they're going, God loves this man. It's all about perspective. See, one moment you could be sitting there going, God is against me because of your circumstances. One month later, two years later, that same circumstance that you were looking at going, God hates me. God loved me. So much that this happened so that this. See, when we trust the outcome of what's going on to our father versus what we can manufacture, it changes everything. And this is where it goes in verse 18. It says, truly, this is God. Or he's talking about God. He says, truly, you set them talking about the wicked in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And so what I don't want you to do with this psalm is is start looking. And this is entitled Christianity at times. Start looking out at the wicked and go, you're going to get it. You're going to burn God's going to, look, he's put you on slippery, it's coming. It's not for us to do that. God did that. It's for us to realize that our joy and our peace and our acceptance 
And our forgiveness is rooted in Him alone. And then it changes. His whining about wanting to just be like everyone else. His whining about saying it's in vain that he's doing these things changes in verse 21. It says, when my soul was embittered. When I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. Don't raise your hand, but have you been there? Like I've had bad days where I'm just like. Let's just confess here. Lord, I planted a church. I did what you asked me to do. Why is this happening? Why do I feel depressed? Which I've struggled with over the last five years. Why are these things going on? Because almost all of the time in my life, I cannot speak for you, that I've been in those places, it's because I'm looking to me to solve my issues. I'm looking to me to remedy. I'm looking for you know it to be about me, even the church. Like if more people are here, then I'm a better whatever. Versus I am loved by God, period. But we've all been in that place where you're you've been brutish, and I know I don't I know you're like brutish. Sounds fancy. And ignorant. We know that one. Pouty child is really more like it. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. This is, this is back. This is crucial. I think the most dangerous thing about where we live is that we live in America. And we do not even understand how blessed we are. Because there's people that are more blessed. And you look across the street or into the other neighborhood Instead of look, we we rarely look backwards and go, look, look where I'm at compared to it's usually like I don't have because I see the other. There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Is that where you're at this morning? Like you're are you in that place? That that's true. Probably not. Because we're we're fixing our attention on something else. I had a bad day yesterday. Like it just wasn't going for me. I literally hit my head on the van getting into it. It was raining, cold. The seat was up a little bit further. And, you know, big guy, little van, big head. Like our kids, 95 percentile. In the heads, I mean, big heads. I mean, like you just, you just, you got, you got to, you got to navigate getting in. And it, like, I was already having a bad attitude leaving the bowling alley where we're at, and I'm just like, I'm going to the car, and like, <laughs> felt like guy going, 
okay. Like, oh, that's fine. And I, I whacked the side of my head, and I just sat in the van. I'm like, <laughs> I'd like to say I got on my knees and was like, sorry, Lord. Morris sat there and was like, why do I have this big head? <laughs> I'd love to say it was filled with brains, but it's just a big head. <clears throat> Verse 26, it says, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but... For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all his works. It changes our perspective when we enter into and experience the presence of God for the first time because we realize That everything else, and until we get to that place, until we get to the place that everything else is rubbish. Then we're always going to be looking to those things to satisfy us when God is going, look, all you need is me. Because your health will fail if you're in this room, you will die. We die. It will happen. We cannot evade it. But we can choose where our treasure is. We can choose where our intentions are. Or or we can be embittered by looking out as others celebrate. And there's lots of wickedness that we can see. There's lots of cruel people. I mean, just turn on the news of things that happen. School shootings, people, bombs, um, even accidental stuff. Um, like the uh, junior hockey team in Canada. I mean, our life is filled with things that we can look at and go, where is God? Or we can look at the truth and allow it to change our perspective and say, he is our treasure. Because I, I, I cannot guarantee you that things will go well. I cannot guarantee you that it will be good for you always. But I can guarantee you that if Jesus is your treasure, it will always end in your favor. Always. Romans eight twenty eight. All things happen for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that means... All things. Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen says this, and this is Paul again, the guy that we just mentioned. All those things and his list of abuse and things that happened to him goes way longer than what I just mentioned. There's one section where he literally lists them all. Verse seventeen it says, "For this light, momentary affliction." Prison, abuse, shipwreck, snake bit, stoned, lashed. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight 
of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We can set our attention on the now, or we can set our attention on Him. And I'm just going to tell you, there is no other place that we can get peace and joy and happiness from. So here's the question that I pose to you in the, in the middle. When will God be enough? Instead of trying to receive affirmation from men, let us live to be affirmed in who we are from God alone. Instead of portraying a sense of being put together and qualified as Christians, this is one thing hopefully you get from Reach Community Church. I don't pretend to be anything that I am not. And I intentionally share things like yesterday. So you don't paint a picture of me that is not me. Look at, well, you know, everything's good with Heath. Like, he does have a beautiful family. We'll admit that. But you have to understand that I am just like Asa is, just like you. Trying to set my attention and affections on God alone. We should be broken, poor in spirit, and needy of God constantly. Instead of portraying to be strong. Paul said it in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 12. Talking about a thorn in his flesh. Like that I'll, I'll boast all the more in my weakness so that the power of God may be manifest in me. Not boasting in his strength, but boasting in his weakness. We need to be humble, not prideful, transparent and deep in our living, not closed or shallow. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up and then I want to. I want to rest here on this question, when will God be enough? Because if we get this, regardless of what happens this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, we can enter into the presence of God and everything changes. The only way that it stays the same is when we try to manage it. See, God can, for us, change our perspective, change the way we think about what's going on, change the way we look at what's going on. Because all the things that we envy, all the things that we desire that someone else has, covet, if you obtain them, they wouldn't satisfy you. They won't. I mean, if you live long enough, you'll realize that. But we're dumb enough to continue to look for the next thing. The next box from Amazon. It'll make me happy. That next thing, instead of deciding that God is enough. And that's the thing that you have to wrestle with. That's, that's the entrance into Christianity. Is that, is Jesus enough? 
Because there will be lots of things that challenge your journey. There's actually a parable about it. A guy that throws seed on the ground and three of the four. One doesn't do anything. It's gone before it even takes root. Two of the others have growth, but no fruit. And fruit is what shows us who we are. And there was only one that was in good soil that produced fruit. So growth is an illusion unless there's fruit behind it. And so this morning, I just want us, as we sing, not to just sing another song, not to just read the words that are going to be on the screen, but literally ask yourself the question and then answer it. Is God enough? And if He is enough, then worship from there. Let that, because that changed him. Everything changed for this man who is almost ready to call it quits and do all the things that he had decided not to do until he entered into the presence of the Lord and it changed him. And so if that's you this morning, then just go, God, as I am, not Fixing all of the things. I think sometimes we miss opportunities to enter into the presence because we believe incorrectly. That we have to remedy all of these things. We have to remedy addictions, whether it be to drugs or pornography. We have to we have to remedy our anger. We have to finally get to where we're not angry anymore. None of those things happen without God transforming us. You ever you ever try to stop being angry? It just makes you more angry. It's like, I'm not going to be angry. And then in you're not being angry, you're angry. What if instead of that, you just said, God, as I am, because it's his transformation in us. Here I am. I want to be satisfied in you. So you could be here this morning and never looked at God the Father through the lens that he is enough. And you could say this morning, God, you're enough. I want that to be so. Take me. Or you could be in this room and, and you could be living it and, and kind of one foot in and one foot out. One foot, foot in the world, you know, like trying to fight the good fight. And one foot just like going crazy. And you may be just going, God, I, I need I need to bring those together. Because I want my you, you see this. Last thing that he said in verse 28, it says that I may tell of all your works. His whole purpose of all of that is then to communicate how God is good. Let's pray. Dimly Father, it is your grace and your mercy that transforms our life. Lord, we are. Very poor saviors. We were never meant to be. Nor did you design us to save ourselves. But you through your finished work on the cross. Has given us an opportunity to enter into your presence. And Lord right now I pray that you would just begin to call people to you. Or those that are sitting there looking out and it's the world is overwhelming them. And they're on the verge of doing something really stupid. 
Lord, I pray that this would be their moment where the presence of the living God shows them, opens them to the reality that you are enough. So as we worship you, Lord, I pray that you would move us closer to that reality. That you would begin to teach us and train us and work in us to trust and believe in you alone. And so, Lord, we thank you for the psalm. We thank you for the honesty that was in this worship leader who shared his shortcoming, his ignorance. And Lord, let us walk into the mercy that he experienced with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.